and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse. This is the water, and this is the well. Drink full, and descend. The horse is the white of the eyes, and dark within. This is the water, and this is the well. Drink full, and descend. The horse is the white of the eyes, and dark within. This is the water, and this is the well. Drink full, and descend. The horse is the white of the eyes, and dark within. Got a light? Hello and welcome, I'm Douglas Bowles, and this is 42 Minutes, a weekly conversation with the interesting artists and thinkers of our day. A production of SyncBook Radio and distributed by thesyncbook.com. You can find our archives at 42minutes.com, and you can reach us by sending a message to mail at 42minutes.com. You can also follow our tweets at Sync42 and at SyncBook. It's Tuesday, June 27th, and it doesn't get any bluer this morning. Or at least that's what we may find with the help of this morning's guest, Scott Ryan, author, director, host. Mr. Ryan is the managing editor and co-founder of the Blue Rose magazine, host of the Red Room podcast and the Big Bad Buffy interviews, and author of 30-something at 30 and the essay book Scott Luck Stories. He also directed A Voyage to Twin Peaks, a documentary about the 25th annual Twin Peaks Fan Festival in Snoqualmie, Washington. His life goal is to interview Cheryl Lee. I have a feeling he'll get there. Check out all his projects at scottryanproductions.com. It really is a a treat to continue to meet all these people from the Twin Peaks community. And so, welcome, Scott. How are you doing this morning? Well, I was fine until you hypnotized me with your drink from the water, and then this big bug tried to crawl in my mouth, and, you know, crazy things are happening now. Well, you know what's so much fun about Twin Peaks this time is listening to the entire Twin Peaks fan community coming up with the names for all these things, and then just, it slowly coalesces, and so what are you calling that creature that we saw at the end of part eight? (laughs) (laughs) trouble is what i'm calling it i'm calling get some bug spray um you know i I don't know what to call things yet um the only things that i've thrown out there is um is the power station is what i call the thing we saw in episode three yes i've been calling that the power station so i've been you know i think that's kind of a good description for it because it definitely had things to do with electricity and a lot of things i'm not sure i mean i call the bad cooper mr c which seems like what the fan community is sort of settling on um Man, there was so much in episode eight that my brain is still trying to figure it out. I mean, I haven't been this disturbed by something on television since episode 29, way back in 91. And so you watched it, you watched the the season finale in real time on TV then? I did. I watched, I'm an, I, I call myself a Twin Peaks lifer. Um, I watched it when it originally aired, and it has been a part of my life ever since then. Hmm. Well, so then, um, it has the, is there anything that you've been wanting to say about the, this, are you calling it season three, or what are you calling this thing? Well, they don't like us to call it season three. Um, you know, we, at the Blue Rose, we've been so lucky to be embraced by Showtime, 
you know, they've really helped. They, they haven't hindered us in any way. They've been helpful to us. And early on, they, through communications, they asked us not to call it season three. So we've been calling it The Return. And then once we called it The Return, then I saw someone else said, don't call it The Return. But it's like, oh, stop it. We have to call it something. So I think the proper name is Twin Peaks The Return. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, so part eight was, and that's the other thing the, I mean, it's easy to say that these are episodes, but that it's, they're all vignettes of a large tapestry that we're taking in part eight. Do you want to start with that? Or do you want to, what do you want? Sure. I mean, that's all I can think about. I had to go out to lunch yesterday with someone who doesn't watch Twin Peaks. And I sat down at the table and said, listen, sometime during this conversation, I'm just going to start talking about Twin Peaks because it's all I can think about and just ignore me. Um, I, man, I loved part eight. I think it'll go down in history as as a moment in television. And that's hard to do when there's 500 channels and streaming and Netflix and all of those things. But anyone who underestimated Lynch and Frost's idea of coming back, you know, they just, they cracked television once again with that episode. Well, it's funny because I think John Thorne tweeted that we could have gotten that one as like episode or part one. Like they could have started there. Yeah, and <laughs> I, they could have, but I'm pretty sure Showtime would have done everything they could have to make sure that didn't happen. I actually think this was the perfect place to play it because we have this two-week break. And I think we're going to need two weeks because I don't know. It's going to be hard to go back to the Dougie story or back to Lucy and Andy or anything that's lighthearted because that was so deep. All right. So one of the things I've been hearing is a little bit of gripes about um, maybe not not pacing, but editing. And how do you feel about that? Whether or not this story is moving too slow? Um, well, first of all, I think people who maybe just watch Twin Peaks but are not David Lynch fans are the ones that are complaining. You know, Lynch's pacing in Mulholland Drive is slower than the pacing in Twin Peaks The Return. I mean, that's his pacing. Lost Highway, the pacing is really slow. So I, I think it depends if you're a Lynch fan or not. Um, you know, I had no expectations coming into this season. The only thing that I wanted was I didn't want them to stop having Laura Palmer be the hero. This is one of the things on the Red Room podcast I've been talking about for a long time, that Cooper is not the hero of Twin Peaks. Laura Palmer is. And she's the only person that ever defeated Bob. And that's why I loved Part 8 so much, because we learned for the first time that Laura Palmer was created by the White Lodge and sent to Earth as a reaction to the thought that Bob slipped in to Earth. And so the only thing I wanted from Twin Peaks didn't just happen. They inflated it to say that Laura Palmer is a beacon of good. Okay, and so you're pretty certain that the black and white stuff with uh, Carl Strucken, I don't know how to say his name, the giant. The giant, yeah. That's, that's the White Lodge. 
Yes. I mean, and this is weird, you know, this is one of those things, but when, when I saw part one the very first time and it was in black and white, I just, I, I don't know why, I just thought that was the White Lodge. That was my first thought. And I think that in what we've seen so far, I would say, yes, that's the White Lodge. You know, I, I take a lot of chances and I love spitting out theories, but of course we've only seen half a movie so far. So anything could change, but where we're sitting today, yes, that's the White Lodge. What about trying to reconcile, I mean, so uh, it, it really appears that that the evil that men do, the, you know, this idea of Bob came into the world with this Trinity test in White Sands, New Mexico. Well, I think that that is one of the greatest ideas ever. And if I wouldn't get arrested, if I ever met Mark Frost and David Lynch, I would just want to run up and hug them. But I'm sure they, you know, security would stop that from happening. Um, think about this. Man created the worst weapon known to us, the, the deadliest killing machine. And they have decided that using that weapon tore a, a, a little, you know, the smallest little tear in time, and it let Bob slip into this world. So because we created a killing machine, we let the greatest evil into our planet, into our existence. And I love that idea. And I also think it was brilliant that they didn't say dropping the bomb on Japan brought the greatest evil because you could make the argument, well, they were trying to stop World War II. Maybe the good outweighs the bad. No, this was just testing it. Mm -hmm. And I think using that makes it even worse. So I don't know. I just love that concept. But then within the... The rules of the show a little bit. The um, Glastonbury Grove in the book, you know, is this is this uh, portal between two worlds, and I'm not certain how to reconcile that with 1945. Any thoughts? Well, uh, sure. Uh, I, man, I'm full of thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> I I got tons of thoughts. Well, here's how I view that. That is the waiting room. You know, we don't know that that what's at Glastonbury Grove is even the Black Lodge. You know, the only thing we've ever been told is that it's the waiting room. So that could simply be a portal between or or even have nothing to do with the world that it came at, that we just saw in this, you know, the really bubbly world that had the creature that was was uh shooting things out of its mouth and that became bob this is hard to talk about this is <laughs> we sound ridiculous don't we well the so, that character is called the experiment in the credits was that uh character also credited in like part one or two where it kind of devoured the couple out of the glass box it is no, I don't. I do not believe it is in. I you know I watched that a while ago and took all my notes on that a while ago. But I don't remember there being someone called that. So I I don't know. I've heard someone else say that that's you know that it looks like what was in the glass box. I in in my theory it was actually the arms doppelganger that killed 
Sam and Tracy. I, I don't think it was that creature that did it. But again, we don't know at this point. Hmm. Okay. Well, so <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so it's funny because there was a lot in part eight, but there it seems like if you just draw lines, it really is uh, Ray and Mr. C get out of jail. Uh, Ray tries to double cross Mr. C. Mr. C, you know, apparently is is killed, and then these creatures called the Woodsmen come out and bring him, revive him, and then you know that's the end of the episode, and we're back at the Roadhouse, and Nine Inch Nails plays industrial music, and then and then we enter into like this entirely new thing that alludes that the idea of Bob begins. I mean, so like there's a couple things that happen in that episode. Where Ray says, "I think this is the key to everything," and then, and then, uh, you know, we see, we see the beginning of Bob and the beginning of Laura. Yeah, I know it's it's pretty exciting, but you're right; it really isn't that complex of an idea. Even what we saw in the whole black and white segment, you know, I the the reason that I can't get over it has less to do with what we learned and more to do with just experiencing this piece of art and this piece of creativity. You know, the when we saw the convenience store and you just saw the figures moving and, and the lights were flashing and there was this sound, you know, I mean, what does that mean? It, it, it probably means nothing, but it sure was cool to look at on your TV coming out of a major network. I mean, we just watched... A huge corporation, which if you trace it back is actually CBS, fund the (laughs) biggest piece of art that television has ever done. I mean, that was like experimental art that, that we got to watch on our TV screens, not on some internet site. I mean, that's that is crazy in 2017 that Lynch could finagle what he must have had to finagle to let that 45 minutes air on TV, I just can't get over it. And then do you feel like that convenience store is the convenience store? I did notice a little stairwell to the right. Or do you think all these things are just archetypes? It's the idea of the convenience store. Um, I mean, I guess I took it at face value. I think that is the place that we see in Firewalk With Me, where we see Bob and the man from another place and Mrs. Tremont and and there are woodsmen in that scene too, you know, according to the credits of fire walk with me, I do think we were in that building. Yeah. All right. And so what do you make of a woodsman or the woodsman? Well, one thing is he is one scary dude. That's what I make of him. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's the first thing. Um, I think that they are, compadres to bob i think they're they're definitely evil spirits and i think the fact that we saw one in i don't remember now if it was part one or two because i watched them together but in that first in the jail scene yeah um i think it means that they are like bob they're called to fear and negative emotion because i think that's why he was probably there because of what bill hastings was going through 
And I think that's similar to what we learned from Leland, how Bob's going to prey on fear and murder and things like that. But why do you think woodsmen? Well, I mean, we know that the evil is from the trees. We know that the trees in Twin Peaks have some sort of power, um, all the way down to the log lady's log, which, you know, technically does speak to her. So I think that Lynch is just drawn to wood. I mean, I think he loves to work in wood. He's building a table right now made out of wood, and, and that's his new project. I mean, to him, that's the same as making Twin Peaks. Uh, it's just another art project. So I don't know. I think he's just fascinated by wood. Okay. Well, because there's something, I mean, by cutting from Nine Inch Nails and just, uh, you know, what their music represents to 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 that next section there was something uh, i just see these little guys as representations of industry you know like it, it, the kind of things coal and oil and all the things that bring us technology which is also something interesting with um mr c his ability to utilize technology in a really sophisticated way <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, you know there's something there's something there that i mean especially going from 1956 which was just gorgeous there was something about just the shots in that section with the girl and the boy that just was of another era just really he really was able to capture uh you know, this this uh, innocence of a bygone era, I think. Well, and one of the things that have struck me and about The Return, you know, everyone, I feel like, has focused on the lack of Angelo Badalamente's score. Mm-hmm. You know, scenes that in the first Twin Peaks would have certainly had music under them are not having any score. But what I feel like people haven't discussed is that in Twin Peaks and Firewalk With Me, there was a feeling of the 50s. You know, all the women dressed like the 50s, almost all the cars were from the 50s. And that has been totally gone in the return. You know, everyone has cell phones. Uh, Dr. Jacoby's a podcaster. You know, all of this modern technology is here. And then we go back to this black and white scene with the young couple that, you know, I'm just the right age to not view it as being from the 50s, but view it as Michael Jackson's thriller video. That's that's really what I was thinking of, but I'm a child of the 80s. But, you know, that was mirroring, mirroring the 50s. And so we finally came back to that innocence, I think, what you're talking about. And I think that has been on purpose, that there hasn't been that there is no innocence in this new Twin Peaks that we're looking at. And I think it's because Bob has reigned terror for 25 years. Yes. All right. So can, at this point, can you put anything together? I mean, so like there are a lot of things I feel like I need to go back and start over. Like things that I'm missing, little details and, and connections. I don't remember Bill Hastings' secretary, and I don't remember any connection to coordinates i mean so that's really important to mr c what's going on there well at this point i i don't know 
but we do know that he is going to get those coordinates. Now, I'm my assumption is those coordinates are going to help him get to another world because the you know, it kind of links back to Windermerle looking for the coordinates to find Glastonbury Grove to get into the waiting room. So I think we kind of know that there are, if you have certain points, you can travel between these worlds. Now, to what end he's working at, I'm not sure. And now that Bob has left him, now we just have Cooper's doppelganger there. You know, we don't necessarily have Bob in him anymore. I don't know if he'll be as interested. So was it Bob that wanted those coordinates or was it Cooper's doppelganger who wanted those coordinates? I don't know. So, okay, so I, I was calling those Bob pods, uh, you know, in the experimental, the experiments kind of vomit, or <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's, you know, this kind of pod with Bob in it. And so when the woodsmen are either reviving or who knows what they're doing to Mr. C, this kind of pod comes out of Mr. C's chest, and that's when Ray, like, really freaks out. It's like, what? <laughs> so do, does, it, it, does it seem to you like Bob is no longer in the doppelganger? Yes. Yes, it does. It, I would say Bob is free. Now, I mean, I kind of expected to see an owl fly away, but I guess I should, I've got to I've got to learn to stop expecting something. I mean, <laughs> I didn't expect a bob pod to come out of him. Um, I really expected an owl to to fly out because the last time Bob was freed from a soul, which would be Leland, you know, we saw that shot in the end of episode sixteen of an owl flying off. So I don't know. And there really hasn't been that many owls yet. There's only been one when uh, Dougie first came home, an owl flew over him. So Uh, I'm wondering if we'll see more owls now. There was an owl cookie jar in that kitchen, too. In Dougie, yeah. 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 But that is, and it's still within Dougie's house. um, But I think that's because they're watching him. I mean, that's... And that even ties back to the casino scene where Dougie looked up and saw that cameras were watching him. And then it's a very similar shot when he looks up to the owl. So I think we know that people are watching Dougie because the one-armed man and, and that whole realm obviously has an interest in in Cooper getting out for some reason, probably to defeat the evil doppelganger. But now... I believe it on some podcast or maybe at Awesome Con, you were relating how you believe that the Dougie uh, narrative is actually happening still in the waiting room in Agent Cooper's mind. Do you still believe that at this point? Boy, that's a tricky one. Um, it, it's. I I still have to believe it, but I think it is becoming a harder thing to hang my hat on after last night's episode, because I'm not sure if it's going to be that cut and dry, but there's still too many things that make me think that is not a believable universe. Um, But the key at that point when I was 
pushing that theory. The key had not shown up in Twin Peaks yet. But then the key did show up. So, you know, I'm not sure. That theory is is crumbling a little bit, I feel like, because the worlds are starting to connect together. And should Mr. C end up in Twin Peaks, then I would say that that theory is dead. Okay. Well, so one one thing that I saw out there in the world is this idea that, if you recall, in the mythology of the show, Frank Silva became Bob when he was captured in the mirror in a shot, and then David Lynch had the idea that, oh, this is this is great. We should make this guy part of the show and turned him into Bob. Mm-hmm. In when we first see Sarah Palmer and she's watching this horrendous. Lions taking down an ox video or water buffalo or something, you see that the giant TV reflected in in those mirrors in the living room. And I'm not certain if it's the same mirrors, but it's similar enough to remind me of that kind of shot. And I'm so I I saw out in the world someone was putting forth this idea that Bob in in the modern era has become more of the idea of technology with screens and cameras and everything, which is an interesting thought because it kind of continues this idea of the evolution of of evil. What what do you make of that? Like technology um, as I, I had never uh put that together in the way that you're saying. When I saw that shot I, of course, noticed that you could see the reflection. And I really wasn't looking at the screen. I was looking what was on the screen. And what was on the screen was violence and devouring of innocence. So to me, it was showing you that Sarah Palmer was still in the same moment. She still is in the moment of a stronger being devouring a weaker being. And we could see it reflected in the mirror and it was violence and it was nature and it was carnage. Um, I didn't really connect it to being the TV and the screens. Uh, that I, I could see that being a Mark Frost idea, but I feel like Lynch is a little bit more, um, you know, he. I don't think he gets that specific, but it's a cool idea. I mean, the technology definitely has entered into Twin Peaks. Um, although Norma is still doing paperwork. <laughs> so she, she wasn't sitting there with a the laptop. But one of my favorite shots in all of, of Twin Peaks so far is when Frank Truman pulled the little switch and this piece of wood came out of the desk and had a computer frame in it. I mean, I thought that was really cool and very Twin Peaks. <laughs> so there was technology, but it was still in you know it was still encased in wood. And I heard somewhere that apparently David Lynch and Mark Frost communicated via Skype, and so this was kind of a a little wink at that potentially. Yeah, yeah, they definitely wrote through Skype, and um, and it's it's played a part in this season, which is kind of cool. All right, so the diary, uh, this is one of the things that is kind of a stumbling block to me. There are two diaries. There's the one that that Cooper breaks open. You know, do we have a key for this? He breaks that one open, and that is the public diary, but there's also the secret diary, which uh, later became something that David Lynch's daughter 
wrote out completely and published as a book. The Secret Diary is figures in Firewalk with Me, and she gives it to Harold Smith, and there are pages ripped out of the Secret Diary, and you know, according to the sh- the return, Hawk finds those in the bathroom at the Twin Peaks Sheriff Station. Can we really make that connection? I mean, so that it seems like the pages Hawk has are yellow and the diary pages in Firewalk With Me are white. Well, a couple things. I mean, first thing is the diary, I think, has always been an amazing piece of art in Twin Peaks. And in fact, at the Blue Rose, that's what our cover is on issue two. We And we covered the diary. And because I think it is super important to things. And now it's even more interesting knowing that Laura Palmer was manufactured. So she wasn't maybe even a real person. That makes it very, very interesting. The pages would be yellowed because 25 years has passed. So I think that is it. But the real thing about those diary pages is that Laura gives the diary to Harold Smith. Then the next day she has the dream with Annie. So she couldn't write it in her diary because she had already given her diary and Bob had already ripped the pages out. So, because that's what she finds in Firewalk with Me. She's laying on her bed listening to a real indication and and you hear the sound of the page ripping and she finds these pages and then she goes to Harold Smith. So Bob did not read, or Leland, uh, did not read the pages that Hawk and Frank Truman are reading. Now, here we go to a Scott theory. (laughs) (laughs) My theory is this. Um, She didn't have her diary to write them in anymore because she gave it to Harold. So I think she wrote it in another notebook because if you notice in Firewalk With Me, the pages are really jaggedly ripped out. and, And the pages they had are more nicely torn. So I think she, in another notebook, wrote them out tore them out and I think she gave them to the log lady and somehow the log lady got them to major Briggs and major Briggs put them in the bathroom. And so, I mean, I'm going way out there, but how this works is what I did because after, and by the way, going to what Hawk said about Leland uh, putting the pages in there and the pages being ripped out and and Harold Smith having it. Remember that as viewers, we know more than Hawk. So Hawk's theory is a good theory for what Hawk knows. But Hawk doesn't know as much as we know because we've seen Firewalk with me and he he didn't. He doesn't know when Laura gave the diary to Harold Smith. He just knows it and ended up there. So I don't think Hawk is a reliable narrator in that scene. Um, but I fast forwarded through Firewalk with me after that episode to see, okay, when did she have her dream with Annie? And then who did she see after that? And it's that night, the next night that she goes to the roadhouse and she has that scene with the log lady and then they cut to inside and you see Julie Cruz singing Mm -hmm. and then Laura comes in crying. So you could make an argument that she, after the camera goes in there, that Laura could have handed the log lady those pages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My impression is that 
those pages come off like a mini legal pad that actually has a yellow tint to it. That's that's. I need to look at it again. But that was my. my yeah, it's it's a different notebook, I think, than the diary. It's different pages. Yeah. Uh, well, we need to talk about the magazine, but oh, there was something. You keep <laughs> stirring the pot. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the magazine has two issues out. Oh, that's that's the question. And in both issues, you uh, have a writer to speak about the missing pieces. Have you experienced anything in the missing pieces that contribute to the show as a you know? So this is something that people actually. So that's the interesting thing that. With this return, there are – to really get a sense of what's going on, every now and again, you have to do a little bit of work, whether it's look at the credits and stop it and see what, what they're calling characters or re-exploring you know, some of these old publications from the 90s, whether it's The Secret Diary or The Tape, you know, the, the Cooper memoir. Tell me about The Missing Pieces and is anything in there that we need to know? Yeah, I, th- I think the missing pieces are, are very important. Um, in the missing pieces, you get to see the Red Room from Cooper's perspective um, twice. Once when he is with, basically in Laura's dream, and it's an extended scene. And then once when the series is over. And both times, the man from another place says, is it future or is it past? And those were scenes that were not in Firewalk with me. And that is what the one-armed man says to him in part one or two. Mm -hmm. So that is one of the things that I've really been trying to figure out. Because I had it figured out in The Missing Pieces. Because I think the reason he says it to Cooper the first time is because at that point, Agent Cooper had never met the little man before. Because this is before Laura was murdered. Then in the other time, when he says it at the end of the movie, he has met him because he's dreamed about him. And, you know, so that's why he's saying, is it future or is it past? Because time has passed. And then I have a whole hair theory that I don't need to get into (laughs) as we're ticking down. But that's why I think it's curious that the one-armed man said it, because why would he have that same thing with Cooper Unless it's going to come back around again, which is which kind of is when I started to to go on this theory that Cooper is still sitting in that chair. You know, I really would not be surprised if in parts 15, 16, 17, we see the one arm man say to Cooper again, is it future or is it past? And he's sitting in that chair and you're really not sure, you know, where he went. I don't know. I feel like that didn't make sense, but it makes sense in my head. But so I, I mean, I think we're too soon to point, but yes, I think the missing pieces are going to be important. And the owl cave ring, that's what that's called, right? Yes. That, yeah, that's pretty much what people call it. Yeah. Okay. And so it does make an appearance in Mark Frost's book. An Indian chief gives it to Lewis and then he disappears from the, the, have you read the book? Oh, yes. Yeah. And that's what issue one is about. John Thorne really goes in deep with that book. And it it's a great essay. It's it's definitely the best thing in issue one. I mean, it's it's really cool. He, he found some great connections. And 
I really would like to spend this two weeks rereading the book because my thing about Mark Frost's book is I think it it actually is like the greatest spoiler ever. And okay. we got it in October, but we didn't know <laughs> that it was a great spoiler. And everyone was saying, when are we going to get a trailer for New Twin Peaks? And it was like, heck, they just gave you the greatest trailer ever. You just can't make sense of it yet. Okay, because a lot of people thought it was a red herring that... You know, yeah. there's so many discrepancies between what we know as truth and what this book is purporting to be true. So, so, so tell a little bit. Can you, uh, do you have any sense of what? Well, yeah, I, well, first of all, uh, I personally have not interviewed Mark Frost. We we have an interview with him in issue two, but I didn't get to con conduct it. And I really hope that sometime I get to interview him because I don't really want to know about secrets of the show. That doesn't interest me. But what does interest me is his idea that he said, you know what? I I know what Twin Peaks fans think of me. I know they think Lynch is the main guy. I'm going to put out a book before Twin Peaks that has all these errors in it, and I'm going to drive those Twin Peaks fans up a wall and let them think whatever they want about me. But it's going to make sense after. And to me, the real hero of, of this return is Mark Frost. I think you could really see his writing in the scripts, and I think his book is is an amazing piece of art that was was just as hard to take in as part eight, just in a different way. Hmm. So then when did you guys decide, and it, was I correct, you and John are the, it was, yes. th this is your baby, so when did you right. guys decide we need to, we need to do a magazine? It was, well, I've been begging John since I met him in 2015 at the Twin Peaks Fest. I actually, the first time I met him, I said, you, you know, you need to bring Wrapped in Plastic back and I would help you. And he said, no, I never would. And then when, and I think a year later, I asked him again, and then Mark Frost's book came out and we were talking on the phone for like three hours <laughs> going back and forth on this book. And I hung up, I went to bed, I was laying in bed and I just was like, no, there has to be a magazine. I got up the next morning. I called John. And I said, John, I'm starting a Twin Peaks magazine with or without you, but I don't want to do it without you. And he said, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> and so we started, it really was like a week after Mark Frost's book. I mean, it, that's what did it. And that's why we put it on the cover of issue one and started off there because I was like, it's Twin Peaks is too um, layered not to study. Yes, yes. All right. So, but then with this ring, <laughs> I, how does that fit in? This is the interesting thing. So, Bob, I really think that that thing that crawled out of the desert is Bob. That, that, that's like a Bob frog. And it goes into her. And this is like the first incarnation of Bob in 1956. Very interesting. So, I think the opposite. So, I think that little animal thing is good. I think that's the Laura Palmer thing that he sent to Earth because it was in a shape that was similar. But I've heard other people say that. For some reason, I just thought that was Sarah Palmer and that it was that thing was going into her. Um, 
But I don't know how you would know if it's good or bad. I don't know yet. So right. it's interesting. Yeah, that's just speculation. But the the ring is this thing that is a little it's a little gray to me to understand where um if you do have the ring on your arm goes numb and then bad things happen to you well i think the thing about the arm going numb if you tie it back to the original series was because bob was sticking his hand out into the world he was trying to come out so i mean i do think it is about possession and you know i i I don't know that the ring is ever going to be fully explained but it definitely has connections to that world and i'm wondering if it is the green farmica table looking stone that is in it that that has some power to these people Hmm. but i don't think we know yet and i don't think we're ever going to know there's i would be really shocked if they answer that question. Mm-hmm. Well, because it's, it's Dougie definitely had the real Dougie. And this is what's really shocking to go back and see the difference between Dougie, which, he, you know, overweight with, you know, funny hair. Uh, and you see him just for a second with Jade. And then what we call Dougie, like the Dougie that we, you know, have gotten to know, which is not Dougie. It's Cooper. Right, Cooper. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we don't have, we can't call him Cooper because he's just not acting like Cooper at all. He's just all we can do is call him Dougie. Uh, yeah. Yeah. To me, he's trying to rebuild his humanity. Um, I think all of the things that are going on are parts of our humanity. You know, when he saw the boy, he cried because he felt. Naomi Watts is being like a mother to him. She's leading him around. There's been violence that he's witnessed. He's witnessed lying at work. And, you know, he has family. There's just all of these things. And I think he is, this is the way Cooper is rebuilding his soul to to be able to come out of the Red Room. He's, he's learning all the aspects of humanity. Well, we're just about out of time. What can we expect out of issue three of the Blue Rose magazine? What are you guys working on? And then what, what are you going to do with the podcast in the, in the next couple weeks? So issue three will be part one of a reference guide to every part. We were going to do all 18 parts in one issue up until yesterday when they played part eight. And I said, (laughs) John, what if the last episode is as crazy as eight? We're not going to be able to make sense of it. So we decided we're going to split it into two because it's just too much to cover in one issue. And we kept thinking, are we going to get bigger pages? So, And we are probably going to have an... We are, have already interviewed one of the new cast members, and we might get a couple other interviews and and things like that in part eight, and then, or I'm sorry, part eight, uh, issue three, and then issue four will continue that up, and I want to do a piece on the Laura Palmer house for issue four, and you can subscribe right now and get one, two, three, and four which will take you through 2017. We're calling it the Dougie Special. And that is available at bluerosemag.com. And the podcast, what are you going to... What are you uh, going to... 
Well, you know, the Red Room, we don't just cover Twin Peaks. Like I just put up, I went to the ATX Festival and went to a bunch of television panels and recorded them. And you get to hear different directors and actors talk. And so we do different things than just Twin Peaks. What we've been doing is about every four episodes, we try to invite someone on and, and we cover that in an hour and just kind of talk about it. We just had Jeff Lemire on, who's who's a, a comic book artist, and, and he talked. And I you know, have a couple other special guests that we're trying to get on to, to get their opinions on Twin Peaks as well. And that's at redroompodcast.com. Well, that was 42 Minutes. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. Thank you. It was fun. You bet. You've been listening to Scott Ryan on 42 Minutes, a production of SyncBook Radio and SyncBook.com. Check out his work at scottryanproductions.com and bluerosemag.com. For more information about the SyncBook, our guests, check out past shows or just subscribe to the podcast via iTunes. Please be sure and visit our website at thesyncbook.com. If you like this podcast and would like more, consider becoming a SyncBook Plus member. Some of the membership benefits include full access to the complete audio archive, discounts on books, behind-the-scenes scripts, bonus audio and video, as well as seasonal online hangouts with the hosts. All this and more can be found at thesyncbook.com slash membership. Thanks so much. And Philip, it's Ray. Ah, I think he's dead, but he found some kind of help, so I'm not 100%. And, and, I, and I, I saw something in Cooper. It may be the key to what this is all about. There's a man going around taking names, and he decides who to free and who to blame. Everybody won't be treated all the same. There'll be a golden ladder reaching down When the man comes around The hairs on your arm will stand up At the terror in each sip and in each sup Will you partake of that last offered cup? Or disappear into the potter's ground When the man comes around Hear the trumpets, hear the pipers One hundred million angels singing Multitudes are marching to the big kettle drum Voices calling, voices crying some are born and some are dying It's Alpha and Omega's kingdom come And the whirlwind is in the thorn tree The virgins are all trimming their wicks The whirlwind is in the thorn tree It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks Till Armageddon, no shalom, no shalom Then the father hen will call his chickens home The wise men will bow down before the throne And at his feet they'll cast their golden crowns When the man comes around 
Whoever is unjust, let him be unjust still. Whoever is righteous, let him be righteous still. Whoever is filthy, let him be filthy still. Listen to the words long written down. When the man comes around. Hear the trumpets, hear the pipers. One hundred million angels singing. Multitudes are marching to the big kettle drum. Voices calling, voices crying. Some are born and some are dying. It's Alpha and Omega's kingdom come. And the whirlwind is in the thorn tree. The virgins are all trimming their wicks. The whirlwind is in the thorn tree. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. In measured hundredweight and penny pound. When the man comes around. Sat on him was death, and hell followed with him.